Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Hello and welcome once again to the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and sitting at my side is my trusty sidekick, Tom Dorian. Deacon Jeff. How you doing? I am great. How are you? You look great. I appreciate that. I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my best we're, duds We're today. all duded up today, aren't we? That's exactly right, because we have a great topic, and we also have a great guest. I know. I can't wait. So we're going to put out the fine china. We're going to get out the good menu. We're going to use napkins today? We're going to use napkins. You're not going to use your sleeve this week? <laughs> I'm not, I okay. promise not good. to. Thank you. All right. So our topic today is apostolic succession. Yes. This is a big topic, and we wanted all of our listeners uh, who might not be familiar with that particular topic, that particular Catholic doctrine, so we can explain it a little bit today and, and help people to understand what it is we mean when we say apostolic succession. And we have the perfect guest for it. That's exactly right. Well, we get to that in just one second. But I will say that we are going to, uh, uh, every time that we attend Sunday Mass, uh, we Catholics profess our faith in Christ's church. Uh, and in that profession of faith, we acknowledge that the church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. Apostolic. Uh, these are the four marks of the church. And so today we're going to focus on that fourth mark, the apostolic aspect right, of the church. Right. So what does it mean to be apostolic? Well, who better to answer that question than a successor to the apostles himself? So, well, here we have uh, uh, Bishop J. Terry Stibe. Uh, he's a, uh, the bishop of the Diocese of Memphis in Tennessee. Uh, bishop, he's making his way to the luxurious corner booth. And welcome. here he is sitting down. Bishop, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to your quaint and cozy cafe. Oh, thank you. We're going to set him up with something to drink. We need to get Cynthia over here to get you a cup of coffee. Is any That's particular fine. way you'd like that? With a little cream and sugar. Okay, we'll get that taken care of. The Cynthia, get knows, on that, please. He knows what he likes in coffee. <laughs> so, Bishop, let's uh, let's get to the heart of the matter. So, what does it mean when we say that the church is apostolic, and and why is that so important to the Catholic faith? Well, it's important to the Catholic faith because that's one of the very cornerstones of the church. The church is apostolic because it is founded on the apostles. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The apostles are the foundations of that stone. And we find that in Scripture, obviously, you're quoting from Ephesians. When uh, St. Paul tells us, So then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles. That's right. And it was the apostles, because of their witnessing of of the resurrection, because of their walking with Jesus, praying with Jesus, talking with Jesus, and because he said, I will be with you always. Also, I assume that that the church uh, treasures this teaching of the apostles and, and, and keeps it and hands it on as well. Is that right? That's correct. And it is through the apostles that the church teaches, sanctifies, and guides the church. And it is through them that the teaching, the gospel, goes through to all of us. And it is through them that we carry on the foundations of the church. Well, so you say the words carry on, that phrase, and that's a very important phrase for when we're talking about apostolic succession. I think everyone will agree that a church has to have those apostolic teachings to be a genuine church because, in essence, those were the teachings of Christ himself. And that teaching 
is then passed on by the apostles and their successors. Obviously, when the when the, our little fledgling church was started, you know, on the, on the on the rock of Peter, you know, we start this church. Now Christ had to know that Peter was not going to live forever, and if Peter was in charge of of and the other apostles, of course, was in charge of maintaining and keeping and preserving this teaching of Christ. Did Jesus have a plan there? Jesus did have a plan, and he (laughs) knew exactly what he was planning to do when he appointed the 12 apostles. And from then, knowing that his saying that, I will be with you always, also knowing that the apostles themselves would have to pass that teaching on to their collaborators. And uh, and in passing it on, that to make sure that the, the the good news of the church would be held, you know, as Jesus taught it. So I guess we, you know, we have a lot of listeners who may not be Catholic or are unfamiliar with Catholic teaching, and they would instantly ask, well, why does it have to be these specific successors to the apostles, these specific, you know, guys? Can it not just be anybody passing on the teaching of Christ, safeguarding the teaching of Christ? No, because Jesus chose his apostles and it it's a call it's uh it's not anyone can just simply say well i want to be an apostle it was a call christ chose and christ continues to choose through the apostles through his successors so that it is always the church calling and the people accepting the call and then also this concept of of keeping this teaching and then also passing it on. In other words, sort of spreading the wealth, you know, sharing in the wealth, uh, the good news of Christ. We see that in evidence in Scripture all over the place, especially in the book of Acts, where we're seeing the early church growing. You know, St. Lucas is showing us all these examples of different churches being set up in different lands, different parts of, uh, of that area. And in fact, we have uh, uh, in Paul's letter to Titus, we, uh, we have him saying, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's, of course, uh, uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. But that shows what role that these men that were selected have. Right. And they knew what their role was. And in being able to pass on that, that teaching you know, of Jesus to others so they could choose the men who would be able to pass that on to others. Uh, St. Paul is pretty famous for that, for his, uh, his uh, especially with the Titus, uh, all the conditions and, the, and, the, and the, how to choose the, the, the persons and make sure that they, were, they would be collaborators with the successor of Peter. And, of course, if, you, if you're hungry for other scriptural examples of this sort of, uh, we'll call it the office of bishop, and then we're not inventing that word, that St. Paul's word, and we'll get to that in a second. But, you know, this idea that there were these 12 apostles and Jesus meant for there to be 12 really comes to light in Acts when we find out that, you know, uh, you know the betrayer of Jesus, Judas Iscariot, is, is cast mm-hmm. out from among the group. And mm-hmm. what do they do? Yep. Then they appointed another one. Matthias comes into play. Uh, they choose him carefully, and always notice that they say they prayed first, and then laid hands. So again, so there's the calling. You That's know, the calling. There's, there's, they're asking the Holy Spirit for inspiration, uh, and then of course they, as you've mentioned, they do the laying on of hands. 
This is, of course, in Acts uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 26. won't read all of it, but at the very beginning it says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it. And his mm-hmm. office let another take. Of course, that's referring to Judas there, and they're, they're tying the Old Testament into the, into the, the new, new covenant. Testament. That's right. Um, and then, of course, at the uh, we'll jump down to verse 26. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was enrolled with the 11 apostles. And this casting of lots was part of the Judaic tradition of selecting the priests that were going to be doing duty. And all you see that in First Chronicles, you know, all back in the Old Testament. Yes, and it makes a good connection with the Old Testament and New Testament. So it's not a disjointed thing. It works with Jesus in that. So you'd mentioned earlier that St. Paul talks about the bishop having an office. And you, you also mentioned that, that, that St. Paul goes so far as to lay out all these qualifications for a bishop. Now, why do you suppose he would go through that trouble? I think uh, Paul, again, wanted to make sure that the, that the persons who were called were qualified, that they would have to be good shepherds, uh, good collaborators with the apostles, and also men capable of handling, as he puts it, the household of the Lord. Uh, I think he says if you can't handle your own household, you know, how can you handle household of the Lord? So. <laughs> That's exactly right. In fact, uh, I'll read some of this stuff. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, pretty steep requirements here. Uh, this, of course, is from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I won't read all of it. But the saying is sure, if anyone aspires to the office of bishop, he desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate. Sensible, dignified, hospitable, an apt teacher, no drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and no lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? Absolutely. Right. And now, Tom, that pretty much knocks you and I out. We're of the, done. Running. We are not going to be bishops anytime Don't soon. Don't have a chance. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, obviously, you can see, you know, there's Paul talking about how important this is. And by virtue of the fact that he's actually giving qualifications, listing them, Paul understands that there are going to be more bishops coming. Yes. And Paul, being the great missionary that he was, the great evangelizer, knew how important it was to have persons who would be able to handle the task, to be able to pass it on. Because that's an important component of the church of the apostolic church to be ready for the mission, to pass the mission of Jesus on. That was the mission of the original 12 apostles. Exactly. And it still remains the mission of the church today with exactly. the successors exactly. to those apostles. Well, wonderful. And in short, obviously, Jesus at that time created what would be a living, breathing authority to protect and pass on his good news. That's right. And knowing that he said, I will be with you always so that it's the living Christ in the church that we're carrying on. Wonderful. Well, we'll continue with this great discussion right after we take a short break. But first, I would like to remind everyone uh, to visit us on the web at www.thecatholiccafe.com. Bishop, I know you've been to the website. I have. That's right. <laughs> and uh, we have uh, all the uh, we have MP3s of this and all our past shows to which you can listen. Plus, you can access our podcasting feature for those of you who uh, take advantage of that technology. 
We also provide many good Catholic links to a variety of resources on the web if you're looking for more information about becoming Catholic or just understanding what the Catholic Church teaches. Uh, And finally, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us with your questions, your comments, and perhaps your show topic suggestions. If you want to contact me directly, my email address is deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So, Tom and I will be right back with Bishop Terry Stibe in just a moment. Stay with us. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Little is known about Pope St. Clement I. It is generally agreed that he was the third successor to Peter as Bishop of Rome perhaps ordained by Peter himself. He was martyred in the early 2nd century. A 4th century Greek document called the Acts of the Martyrs, while not authenticated, does give us a more possible detail surrounding his martyrdom. It tells the story of St. Clement being exiled to work in the salt mines of what is now modern-day Crimea by Emperor Trajan after serving as Pope in the fledgling but growing early church. He had such a pronounced and holy effect on the other prisoners with whom he worked that he was eventually condemned to death. An anchor was tied around his neck and he was cast into the sea. But like many saints, the story didn't end there. It is said that the sea rolled back for a mile to reveal the saint's body at rest on a beautiful shrine made of marble. Regardless of the authenticity of the story details, What cannot be disputed is St. Clement's impact on the modern church by the preservation of his well-known letter to the Church of Corinth around 80 A.D., just 50 years after the Passion of Christ. In fact, it was written while the Apostle John was still alive. The epistle, which scholars agree is authentic, rebukes the Corinthian church for his disunity and factious behavior and then proceeds to outline the importance of respecting the authority and hierarchy of the church. In this letter, he said, Shameful, beloved, extremely shameful, and unworthy of your training in Christ is the report that on account of one or two persons, the well-established and ancient church of the Corinthians is in revolt against the presbyters. He went on to enjoin them, You therefore who laid the foundation of the rebellion, submit to the presbyters and be chastened to repentance, bending your knee in the spirit of humility. St. Clement's first letter to the Corinthians offers modern scholars a rare view of the structure and organization of the early church, and it is also a very early example of the Pope acting on his authority to intervene in the activities of a local church. Because of the stories about his martyrdom, Pope St. Clement is the patron saint of mariners and is usually pictured with an anchor at his side. His feast day is November 23rd. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. We are, of course, talking with Bishop Terry Stibe of the Diocese of Memphis. Tom, did you uh, take a lot of notes on those napkins there we have out? Took a lot of notes. Need to take a lot of notes. So we still have more to discuss, don't we? We do. We're going to pick up where we left off, obviously. Bishop, do you need more coffee? No, I'm fine. Thank you. I do. We're going to get Cynthia on that for uh, me and you. How about that? Absolutely. I'm drinking a lot of coffee here. I can tell. Okay. So uh, where we left off, of course, was we just pretty much summed up basically Catholic teaching on uh, what apostolic succession was all about. And I just wanted to direct people perhaps to take a look at the uh, 
uh, some of the church documents that sort of spell out this teaching so that we understand where they come from. Uh, and, in fact, in Vatican II, uh, the document Lumen Gentium, uh, in paragraph 18, discusses specifically apostolic succession. And it says, This sacred synod teaches and declares that Jesus Christ, the eternal pastor, set up the Holy Church by entrusting the apostles with their mission as he himself had been sent by the Father. He willed that their successors, the bishops namely, should be the shepherds of his church until the end of the world. So, Bishop, obviously, that backs up everything you just said. Yes, it does. Brings it directly to me. Exactly <laughs> right. So, uh, many of our listeners may not be totally familiar with uh, Catholic teaching, Catholic doctrine, and may have wandered into a Catholic liturgy. They might have come to a Mass, and perhaps they were even at an ordination. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they would sit and they would watch and they would see the, the beauty of the liturgy. They would perhaps smell the incense and listen to the bells and they would look at the stained glass windows. They would see the beautiful vestments. But then they would see you do a peculiar thing to the heads of those who you were ordaining. Describe that process. Uh, that would be the, what is known as the laying on of hands. It's kind of the, the passing on of the spirit upon the new shepherd-to-be. Uh, you would notice that the bishop that's doing the consecrating would have the mitre on, which is a sign of the the flame of the spirit. And the laying on of hands would show that this is the passing on of that spirit into the new bishop-to-be, so that he now becomes part of that succession and carries on the teaching of the spirit, the teaching of Christ, and then moving the church forward into his time. And again, we can look through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and St. Luke tells us time and time again that this laying on of hands was going on, and that's exactly how the churches were being formed. And you see St. Paul will do the same thing too. St. Paul always talks about the laying of the hands that I conferred or that I placed on you. You know, remember that. You know, rekindle that flame. Exactly. So Acts chapter 6, verse 6 These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. Uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands upon them and sent them off. And then Paul is talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 14. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which Mm -hmm. was given you by prophetic utterance when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. He's telling Mm -hmm. Timothy, you got a gift. That's you know, right. and then right. uh, very specifically, in, in uh, you'd mentioned the flame and enkindling the flame uh, or stirring into flame of the Holy Spirit. In Second Timothy, chapter one, verse six, Saint Paul says, "Hence I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands." And that's obviously the Holy Spirit. Clear sign, clear sign of of, of the Spirit and of Paul realizing that Timothy had the spirit and just now let's rekindle that and let's continue on with what we are doing. Obviously, in invoking the spirit in that process, this is exactly where Catholics get this idea that this is one of the sacraments That's of right. the church. That's right. The Holy Spirit is at work. This is a this is a the, the sacrament of holy orders. Right. And a clear sign of the apostolic succession that we're talking about. So obviously to become a bishop in a certain area then you would have to have had hands laid upon you from a bishop. From a bishop, Who yes. had hands laid upon him, who had hands laid upon him. All the way back. And when we say all the way back, we mean all the way back. We're going back to Peter. 
All the way back to Peter, yes. Exactly. Yes. And some of us, you know, we've uh, kind of traced our apostolic lineage, and uh, I can go back as far as 1541 to see all whose hands laid hands on the pre- previous person that all the way down to my So you have the names wow. of those bishops all the way back to there, and you, have, I'm sure some of those bishops went on to be greater things. Is that not right? Three of them went on to be Pope. Wow. Well, see, that's special. That is special. So now St. Paul talks about his own ordination, does he not? Yes, he does. And uh, in, in marvelous ways, St. Paul knew that, that he, the, the succession that he needed, and he talks about how he received that, you know, that spirit and how it was laid on him, which enabled him to be able then to lay hands on others as he went into his, his teaching profession. Absolutely. And in Acts 9, chapter uh, 9, verse 17, we read, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands upon him, being Paul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here comes the Holy Spirit again. That's right. That's right. And then, of course, Paul understands this new authority that he has, and he even refers to it as an office, uh, when he's writing the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 25 and 26, he talks about the church of which I became a minister according to the divine office, which was given to me for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, and that whole divine office was that he was referring to was, you know, remembering the apostles and Peter as his successors and then, uh, then receiving his authority, his marching orders from Peter to be able to go and proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. To carry on the good news. Carry on the good news. Well, speaking again of carrying on, you know, St. Paul talking to Timothy again, actually, we can see apostolic succession at work in Scripture. A lot of people don't realize that. But if you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So Paul is saying to Timothy, you know where you got your information. So that's one that's thing. That's right. That's and then right. two, he says in Second Timothy chapter one, verses one to two, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me before many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's it right there. And notice St. Paul said, be strong in the faith of Jesus Christ, referring to the fact that Christ's words to his apostle was, I will be with you always. And entrust it to others. Pass it on. We know that this church is going to go on and on. Jesus said he would be here forever. The gates of hell would never prevail against it. So we know it's an ongoing thing. So we've got to have those able, faithful men to pass this teaching on. That's this right. Authority. And was following the mandate of Jesus, go out and make disciples. And of course, this same 2,000-year-old process. Now, is this an old dead process? Do we never see this anymore, Bishop? see it just about every time a bishop is ordained or, or a priest is ordained for them. Or maybe even a deacon? A, a deacon too, <laughs> yes. yes. Absolutely There's wonderful. a laying on of hands there. Little Absolutely. Plug there. Exactly right. <laughs> so, now the early church, we have writings from, from the early church fathers. In fact, St. Clement of Rome, around 80 A.D., so this is like about 50 years after Christ died, um, our apostles knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife for the office of bishop. For this reason, therefore, having received perfect foreknowledge, they appointed those who have already been mentioned and afterwards added the further provision that if they should die, 
other approved men should succeed in their ministry. And that was the letter to the Corinthians. So there's, you know, St. Clement of Rome laying it out again. That's right. And you can notice in that the progression that in the times of the apostle, they were looking at a community of faith. We're talking about this faith as a way of life. And they became servants of this way of life, servant of this new covenant. And as St. Paul and others marched out into different lands, the church started growing. So they were so they made sure that that office of authority was intact as they moved on. Well, we also have uh, from St. Ignatius of Antioch, who was the third bishop of Antioch, who obviously had some very strong words and very strong teachings about who a bishop was and, and what happened with the bishop. And he says in his uh, letter to the Smyrnaeans, which was about 110 A.D., mm-hmm. um, it says, You must all follow the bishop as Jesus Christ follows the Father, and the presbytery as you would the apostles. Let no one do anything of concern to the church without the bishop. Let that be considered a valid Eucharist, which is celebrated by the bishop or by one whom he appoints. Wherever the bishop appears, let the people be there, just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Nor is it permitted without the bishop either to baptize or to celebrate the agape. But whatever he approves, the bishop, of course, this too is pleasing to God so that whatever is done will be secure and valid. That's right. Isn't that an awesome thing? A lot of people accuse the Catholic Church of sort of making stuff up and sort of creating offices and authorities that don't exist. And all I can say is, well, if you go back 2,000 years ago, you see it. You see it in Scripture, and you see it in the writings of the early church fathers. Yes, and each with each uh, cycle of generation, it gets you know passed on in the in the in the same way. Saint Augustine talks about it. How you know what makes a bishop as a good shepherd? What does that mean? And and all the way down even to our own times, that is always being refined, defined, but always connected to the successor of Peter. Wonderful, wonderful bishop. I just want to take this opportunity to say that I'm truly honored to assist you in your service to the people of God here in West Tennessee, as well as your service to all of Christ's church. Uh, And for that opportunity, I'm eternally uh, grateful to you. Uh, But we do want to thank you. Tom and I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule of, uh, of shepherding. Uh, You're quite welcome. A, I enjoy this. Well, good. Well, we have another cup of coffee for you if you'd like it. Uh, you can hang around afterwards and maybe have a sandwich. Okay. Maybe a Dorian. Maybe a Dorian, a bologna sandwich. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, um, it's full of bologna, isn't <laughs> there it? There you good? go. Okay. We also want to thank you for uh, for your support and blessing of this particular ministry. We appreciate all that you've done for the Catholic Cafe. Oh, this has been great. I've, As I say, I've checked the website and uh, I've heard the programs, and it's this is really it's, it's a blessing. Well, wonderful. In fact, uh, Bishop, I want you to put your wallet away because Tom is going to pay. He's going to pick up the tab today. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Good. My pleasure. Good. Are you going to get mine too, Tom? <laughs> no. Just the bishop. Just the bishop. <laughs> You're on your own, pal. I appreciate that. Well, Bishop, the way we like to end this program is a prayerful reminder to those listening that we are in the presence of God and we're talking about things of God. And we ask you maybe if you could offer a, a, a small prayer and perhaps a blessing for our listeners. Sure. Sure. Good and gracious God. We ask you to send down your blessings upon our listeners, upon all of us, as we strive to serve you, to make you better known in our world. Grace us with your kindness. Grace us with your blessings. We ask this blessing in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.